Well, good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Rob Jacobson, and we talked about what the church was like in our meet and greet question. And so it was interesting to hear a few of you talk about, um, I don't know, I guess I've never thought about that question, or I guess they didn't have really buildings that they would have used, and um, I wonder how they fit all those people in, or did they just meet on hillsides? And so I thought about, you know, Acts 2 does describe how they met and looked at the, God's word together, how they devoted themselves to prayer, how they ate meals together, how they met together both at the temple and in their homes, and how they gener- were generous and sacrificial in their giving. And those are all like really nice answers and stuff. So then I thought, well, what about people that we know who are not part of the church? If you ask them what the church was like, what would they say? Restrict. Good answers. Yeah, what else? Ordinary. Did I hear that right? Judgmental. Oh, don't have to be sorry. That's I've heard that before. Hypocritical. I've heard that one before. Wow, we're just going to go right there, right away, aren't we? Yeah, this is your chance if you were like, I don't know, should I put my kids in children's ministry? You should. Yes. <laughs> That's where we're going. Yeah, yeah. We'll just say rules if anybody's like, what is that guy saying? Yeah, there's some rules. They're, they're narrow-minded, I thought. Sometimes people say they're curmudgeons. They're boring. They're no fun. That's what the church is like. Well, sometimes I wonder how the church survived those perceptions. But then when I think about it, if we just kind of zoom out and go back through history... How did the church survive at all? I mean, particularly the first century. How did they survive being occupied? How did the church survive the Roman Empire? Where there was severe persecution against it. Or how did it survive the Jewish faith when they were pressing down on them and saying they couldn't be different? Or how did they survive in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed and all the Jews were kicked out of Jerusalem, or all the Jews were kicked out of Rome, including the ones that would have been Christians? How did they survive that? I mean, I don't remember studying that much in school. These are significant questions and don't feel like I'm saying you should all go and research it. You can if you want, but I would say they're significant questions because the church is significant. We forget that over one-third of the world's population somehow believes somehow that Jesus and God are connected that one-third of the world's population believes that Jesus actually lived, that he was killed on a Roman cross for claiming to be God's son or this king of the Jews, and that three days later he rose from the grave. One-third of the world's population at least believes that. And one-third of the world's population believes in this almost fantasy idea that two months after Jesus died, a handful of very ordinary Jewish people 
came into Roman-occupied capital city of Jerusalem of the Jewish faith, and they said in front of anyone who would listen that we believe that Jesus was actually who he said he was, that he did actually what he said he did, and that he is the Jewish Messiah, the one who fulfilled all the prophets, all the predictions, everything, and that he actually rose from the grave. We've seen him. We're eyewitnesses. You should believe in him. And that day, 3,000 people said yes. That's kind of a big deal. And a couple days later, 5,000 men and women and children said yes. And all of a sudden, they didn't quite know what to do. That is kind of fantastic. If you think about it, there's a movement that was going in this world at that time. The Spirit was moving, this thing called Pentecost that the church calls it. Well, there was just some amazing things going on. And whenever there's movement, there's always a shakeup because people like status quo, the equilibrium, especially in Jerusalem. When there's this delicate balance of power between Rome and the Roman Uh, leaders and the Jews and the Jewish leaders and the temple in itself, they don't like to mess with that because things start to happen. And when these people say yes to Jesus, stuff starts to shake. So not too long after this, oh, the church is nice. They're devoted to God's word and prayer and fellowship and meals. And look how generous they are. All of a sudden, an organized persecution broke out against them. And in Acts 8-4, it says that all but the apostles were actually expelled from Jerusalem. They all left. They were forced to leave, and they started to be hunted down. And for three years, widespread persecution was against them. Until this this guy named Paul, who was a Pharisee, who was a Jewish leader, until he became what we would call blinded by the light. And the spirit of Jesus spoke to him. And all of a sudden, he becomes a champion for the thing that he was persecuting. And now people aren't sure what to do. Because everywhere they go, these people who were expelled from Jerusalem, even though they're being persecuted, they can't stop talking about their faith. They can't stop telling the story of Jesus by the words they say and the way that they live. And it says that in Acts 11, it says this crazy thing that those who were scattered left Jerusalem. They went up to this place called Cyprus. They went over here to Phoenicia. They went to this place called Antioch. And in Antioch, it says in Acts eleven twenty that some men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of Jesus. And they said yes. So some unnamed people shared the story of Jesus with some unchurched people, and they said yes to Jesus. Isn't that cool? The first people who say yes to Jesus who aren't Jewish aren't even named. They're just some men. But their story, you might might wonder, like, why, why would the rest of the world care about this Jewish Messiah? Because they're not Jewish. Well, I imagine the story went something like this. You know what? We have news of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, some would say that he was just this obscure carpenter's son who became a Jewish rabbi and a teacher, and you might have heard that he healed the sick and encouraged the weak and challenged the proud and brought the foul and forgotten of society like into his troop, but we believe he actually fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies, 
all of the prophets and everything that, that our scriptures have said about him. Not only that, we believe that he was killed for that and he rose from the grave and everything that was promised through our prophets and through our leaders, through Moses, through David, all the way back to Abraham when God said that he would bless the world and that everyone else would be blessed by it, we think that's happening now. So God, so why you shouldn't care is that God actually entered our story. And he provided this remedy for all of us. Every one of us. He didn't just fulfill this religion of Judaism. We believe that he fulfilled all religions. If you think about religions, religions are the set of beliefs and behaviors that help us find God and have peace with God. And Jesus, who was God, became human and fulfilled all the expectations of all religion. And so now, when we trust him, when we believe in him, when we turn from our sin, when we turn from our religion, when we turn from our own efforts, whatever they may be, and we trust Jesus, he changes our life. We have peace with God. I think that's why these Greeks that aren't Jewish are saying yes to Jesus. It's a very, 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 very cool thing. And it looked like nothing from the outside was going to stop this movement of Jesus, this thing called the church. But something from the inside could poison it. And we're going to look at a controversy that happened in the early church that could have absolutely stopped the movement, that could have poisoned the movement and, and really changed whatever we think Christianity is or what Jesus' church is. It's a controversy that I would submit to you is something that either you've thought about or had happened to you, or it's happened to your parents. It's a controversy that, quite honestly, is one of the reasons that people um, either don't like the church or stay away from the church or have become disillusioned by the church. It's a controversy that keeps people saying, I'm interested in spiritual things, but I'm really skeptical of organized religion. And the controversy is very relevant today. I think the controversy goes something like this. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? Like, how good do you have to be? Who gets in? How holy do you need to be? How many rules do you need to keep? How much of your lifestyle do you need to change? Who gets to be part of the church. So turn with me to Acts chapter 15 if you have a Bible or a device that has a Bible, and we will look at this controversy. In Acts 15, it says that certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So some people are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys just can't become Christians. This is in Antioch where these people had first been called Christians. They weren't called Jewish. There wasn't enough Jewish people there to know that they looked like Jewish people. They just looked like these, these little Christs, these people of Jesus. 
And they're saying, well, you can be a person of Jesus, but you first got to become a follower of Moses in order to become a follower of Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas, who've been hanging out in this city for three years and teaching the people, and have also by this time in the story gone on to different parts of the, of the Roman Empire and said, all you need to do is trust Jesus. If you turn from your sin and from your religion and from your efforts, you can find peace with God. They didn't talk about the, fo- the customs of Moses. And so they're like, wait, well, and plus... There's, there's a certain thing about the law, but then there's also this surgery called circumcision. So, the, you know, as, one, as one, I've heard one person say, the new member class was filled with a lot of women and children. <laughs> but they went up to Jerusalem to talk with the elders and leaders. And in verse 6, it says that, in verse 4, it says they welcomed them. That's good to hear. And they heard the reports. That's good to hear. And they actually met along the way some of the people who have become followers of Jesus that were not Jewish. And it says in verse 5 that some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the Jewish leaders that actually conspired with the Romans to kill Jesus. Paul was a Pharisee. They really loved the law. They loved their traditions. They, They were very zealous for doing what's right. Some of those people, after Jesus was crucified, after he had risen from the dead, actually became followers of Jesus. These are not people that are just Pharisees, like just super church people. These are believers in Jesus who happen to be Pharisees, who happen to be these church people. I think that's important. They say, they, some who belong to the Pharisees, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And so the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. Again, when we think of the law, we might think about rules, we might think about the Ten Commandments, but especially to the Jews and the Pharisees, there weren't just the law, there were 613 commands Plus, they've had those commands for a thousand years. So they've had lots of religious leaders talk commentary and decide and debate what those things mean. So it wasn't just the 613 laws. It was actually what all the other rabbis that had gone before them have talked about those laws. And so there were numerous revisions and versions of that that you had to keep. In addition to, on the eighth day, having your son circumcised, And if you didn't do that, you needed to before you became a Jew. So people who weren't Jewish could become Jewish if they kept all the laws and if they had that surgery. And that's what they start debating. And so these new believers, think about it, who've never been to synagogue, these new believers who've never been to church, these new believers who've never followed any of these rules all of a sudden are saying to Paul and Barnabas, hang on a second. You just said we had to trust Jesus. You didn't talk about all these rules. We like our famous Daves. We're not going to this place anymore, the pagan temple or your version of that. We're, we're trying to follow Jesus. What are these people saying? I mean, this really, truly, I don't think I'm overstating it to say it could have poisoned the whole church. But I love 
after much discussion. This was hard, but they didn't give up. They kept talking about it. They knew it mattered, and they kept trying to say, how can we find unity? How can we do this? You know, sometimes um, the church likes to strike this balance between grace and truth, and they feel like, as a church, people who lead in churches are like, well, there's some grace there, but we got to make sure there's truth, because Jesus did have moral imperatives. We can't just let us go to hell in a handbasket, and so this balance of grace and truth. And yet, Jesus was all grace and all truth. He fully embodied both of them. So if we skip down to verse 12, it says that Paul and Barnabas actually told the stories, the signs and wonders, about these Gentiles, these people who weren't Jewish, who came to faith in Jesus. I imagine they said something like, you know what? People are turning to Jesus. We're not telling them about Moses. We're just telling them about Jesus and how he fulfilled the law of Moses, so we're certainly including that. That's part of the grand story of God. But these people are saying yes to Jesus, and their lives are being changed. It's a great thing. They're hearing truth, and they're receiving grace. It's amazing. They look a little different. They don't dress like us. They don't talk like us. They certainly don't eat like us, but they have the Holy Spirit. Their lives are being transformed. They're becoming followers of Jesus, and it's amazing. And they all listen. And maybe this seems way, maybe it's easy for you to make the parallels. Maybe it's not, so just in case it's not. If you've been in the church for 10 years or more, you can probably see how this kind of thinking just creeps in. Because we start to believe in Jesus, we start to behave in certain ways, and all of a sudden we end up with our version of Christianity. Uh, if, you're, if you're not sure about this, then just make a new friend that might seem far from God, or, or sometimes in, in my emerging world, your, friends, your kids bring home friends that say they love Jesus, but oh, <laughs> they do not talk like they love Jesus. <laughs> I have not heard so many oh my gods in my house when, when these new friends come in. I'm like, ooh, eh. and, and other people that uh, are friends, new friend, newer friends of mine, I'm like, you have more ink on your body than I have in all of my desks. Or friends that, you know, have piercings in places that I didn't even imagine you could pierce. And, and they're coming to know Jesus. But it's different than our version of Christianity. It's different than our version of church. And this kind of thinking creeps into our lives. And we think, maybe your parents said it to you. I forbid you to see them again. Or, you, you know, it's just, not, it's just not wise for you to hang out with that person. We know that you want to build them up, but it's really easy to get torn down. So, mm, or worse, you just have parents who say, we're going to make a policy about that. We're not going to have any more discussion about it. Well, it says after much discussion. Let's have a policy. No, it says after much discussion, verse 7. Peter got up. Now, this is the same Peter that was the fisherman. This was the same Peter that was impetuous. This is the same Peter that in his zeal to save and protect Jesus, he cuts off a Roman soldier's ear and Jesus puts it back on and says, put away your sword. This is the same Jesus that has been restored in Jesus' leadership structure as he 
says, I'm leaving and you are going to build my church. You are going to feed my sheep. And this is the Peter who stands up. And he says, uh, brothers, because most of the people in there were men. The women would have been um, there, but not getting to participate in the conversation, unfortunately. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the gospel, the message of the gospel, and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. So Peter had this experience in Acts 10 and 11, you can read about it if you want, where this Roman general captain of the army, Cornelius, who acted a lot like a Jew, but wasn't a Jew, but kept the law of the Jew as best he could, where he accepted Christ, he received the Holy Spirit, his entire household was baptized. And, and Peter's kind of freaking out about it, but in a vision, the Spirit of Jesus says, no, do not call someone unclean, or do not call someone unacceptable that I've accepted. This has already happened. The church has already talked about this. Peter's trying to say, look, God did this already, why are we coming back to it? Well, because they're closer. They're around. They're coming into our church. It feels weird. I think that's why they were saying it. But he says, God knows the heart. Man, I skipped over this so many times. See, God knows the heart. I got to, my, my girls asked me to come and lead their middle school Bible study at school, and um, we were talking about uh, having the courage of David to, to be in the classroom. And 1 Samuel 16 says, God who looks at the heart, who doesn't judge by outward appearance. And all of a sudden, Thursday morning, it just clicked. God who knows the heart, because we judge by outward appearance. We judge people by their comments that they make on Facebook, Right? We judge people by, by what the, the gossip they spread at work or the ways they get drunk at the work parties and then, you know, have to come do the walk of shame on Monday morning. We judge them by the ways they mow their lawn or don't mow their lawn. We judge them by the ways that they pick up their dog poop or don't pick up their dog poop. We judge them by the ways they yell at their kids. We don't know the heart. But God, God knows the heart. Peter says, God knows the heart. And God can purify your heart way, way sooner than he can change your behavior. Think about when you became a Christian, if that's happened to you, if you came to faith in Christ, what was the first thing that someone who already loved Jesus said to you when you said, I've accepted Christ? Was it, oh man, you're going to have to stop swearing Oh, you better change the way you act. Oh, you better change the way you talk. Oh, you better clean it up. Or was it, praise Jesus, praise God. Welcome to Jesus' community called the church. We're not perfect, but man, Jesus is making us more like him every day. Welcome. If you didn't have that last experience, I am so sorry. God knows the heart. And then Peter really drives it home. <laughs> now, he says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither you 
neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. I mean, maybe I kind of picture it like this. Peter stands up in the business meeting of this church to try and figure it out, and he goes, Zach, Brother Zach, didn't I see you doing a sin offering last week? Now, why, why were you doing a sin offering? Might have been because you, you sinned? Hmm, hmm, yeah. And um, Phil, Phil, did I see you, did I see some uh, casino napkins in your handbag? Does your wife Susan know about that? Oh, 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 sorry, you were, you were just, oh, you're gonna, he tells me that he's just gonna donate 10% of his proceeds from the casino from gambling, so I guess that makes it okay, and, and that he didn't drink too much. Susan, I know you knew about Phil going to the casino, because I heard about it at your women's group, where you asked for a prayer request for your husband. I didn't actually ever hear a prayer about that, just, just the gossip that came around it. Now, maybe that didn't exactly happen, but it's kind of fun to think about. See, God knows the heart. And I imagine Peter saying, friends, we can't keep the law. It's not that it's not important. It was so important that Jesus died for it. But because he died for it, he fulfilled it. Far more for us to receive the Holy Spirit and ask God to, in the Spirit of Jesus to cleanse our life, to know our heart, and to purify our heart than it is for us to debate about how we can or can't keep the law. Besides, we're not saved by the law. We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what exactly Peter was saying. See, the church is not a building. The church is not a club that we can keep people in or out of. The church is God's mission for the world. See, God has a church for his mission in the world. And we think that, that God has a mission for his church in the world. Now think about how those are different because when God has a mission for his church in the world, then we start to kind of want to control that mission. Maybe we'll make a missions department or we'll make sure that we have certain money going over here. But if we have certain money over here, then we got to make sure that these missionaries meet these certain behavior qualifications and have the certain, you know, theological qualifications so they can go so that we can say that, you know, God has a mission for our church. No. God has a church for his mission in the world. And when we get this right, we focus on helping people see Jesus. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not fully convinced, but just give me a couple more minutes. Because the leader of the group stands up, James. James, the brother of Jesus, is now the leader in the Jerusalem church. James, the brother of Jesus, who came to with his mother and brothers when Jesus was teaching at a house and said, you're out of your mind, Jesus. James, with his brothers, who came to Jesus later in his story and said, oh, you're going to go down to the t- festival? Why don't you go down to the festival and tell people who you are? Come on, we want to watch you do that. Yep, he taunted them. I think it's in John 7. And this is the James that had people going, 
seriously? Your brother is the son of God? Come on. He had to talk back to Mary once. Come on. Did you ever give him a wedgie or something? Like, what did he, did he? I mean, if James can say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that's saying something. And James stands up. Verse 13. Brothers, listen to me. Simon, Simon Peter, has just described how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. And guess what? The words of the prophets have all been in agreement with this. And then he quotes a psalm. He quotes some of the writings. And he might even go back all the way to Moses and to Abraham, saying that all the world would be blessed through him. God has already predicted this in our scriptures. So it's therefore, verse 19, my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and read in all the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is like my, one of my favorite, favorite verses. Let's not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. I was watching the NCAA championships and I was thinking about with like less than two minutes to go how some of those guys had to stand at the free throw line and make this very intense free throw for the game win. And to not make it difficult would be to not be like, go ahead, Mitch, come on. You know, hooping and ho-. No, not make it difficult. It's already difficult. It's already difficult to believe that someone died and rose from the grave, that your whole life is going to be centered around that concept. That's already difficult. Let's not make it more difficult. But let's just do this. And so the person who's taking notes, because they ended up writing a letter in the next couple chapters, the person who's the secretary is like, all right, James, I got it. Not make it difficult, okay? So, so we got... Um, no food sacrificed to idols. That, I, I get that. That makes sense. No sexual immorality. Do you want to elaborate on that? Okay, just, just no sexual immorality. Okay, got it. Um, no meat from strangled animals. Got it. There's blood in there. That's bad. And no, no blood. No, you know, taking something that's super sacred to the Jews and kind of flaunting it. Okay, what else? There's 613. That's it. In this crucial moment that could poison the church, change the whole movement from something that is not what God had it to be, they say that. If you say yes to Jesus, then you belong to God's community called the church. And if you belong to God's community called the church, then you are the presence of Christ presently, like wherever you're at. You are the presence of Christ. And God has a church for his mission in the world, so be the presence of Christ presently. That's it. That's how the church survived. Sure, it was the words they spoke and the way they lived, but they were just the presence of Christ presently, wherever they went. And God changed the world, and he's still changing the world. And basically what is happening here is he said, church people, Jewish people, church people people who have followed these rules for a long time. Remember, God knows the heart of this person that you think acts far from God. God knows their heart. So don't judge them by their behavior. God can change their behavior. 
He's purified their heart. Let him work in them just like he works in you. Keep being the presence of Christ presently to them. And, and people who are far from God, like we love, we love that you are coming to Jesus. We love that you are coming to Jesus. Just remember that these people over here really, really do love Jesus. And they show it by keeping these laws that you might think are weird. So, so just remember, they're deeply offended when it looks like you are partying too hard. And maybe practicing idol worship. Or being immoral. Or taking something that is very sacred to these people and making it flippant. That's what I think the blood comment is. So guys, if we can do that, we can be the presence of Christ presently in the world because God has a church for his mission in the world. What would it look like if your life was centered around those ideas? Not the blood, not the, not the food sacrifice to idols. That's not where we live, but just the idea that we are the presence of Christ everywhere we go. We are the presence of Christ presently. How would the words that you speak change? How would the way that you live change? Tell you what, I would be a lot bolder in sharing my faith. I would be a lot bolder in inviting people into the adventure of Jesus because it is an adventure. It's amazing. And when I focus on the fact that God has a church for his mission in the world, then I focus on helping people see Jesus. And when I think about the fact that God has a mission for his church, then I go, oh, I got a meeting, I got a board meeting, and we got to make sure that we have the right requirements for that. Oh, and I got to mow my lawn. I got to make sure that my lawn looks good for my neighbors, because I don't want to be a slacker. Not the right stuff. I don't know what it exactly is for you, but I know that the longer a church goes, and the larger it gets, the more it creeps towards insiders and away from outsiders. And the way we can stop that creep is to be bold. To be bold and focused on Jesus. The other thing that the longer a church goes and the bigger the church gets, the more it creeps towards law instead of grace. And all of a sudden we start putting people in categories and then we make policies about them and then we don't have discussions about them. They become categories, not people. So we've got to avoid that, which means that as a church, we, we still have to have messy conversations. But if it's because we want people to come to Christ and not make it difficult for people to come to Christ, then I think that God will bless that. And I think he'll do that in your own life too. And that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that's going to keep going into the future, that's going to continue the story of God in this epic way until his kingdom comes. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this passage of scripture, this story, this momentous occasion in the church. For the discussions for the truth and the grace that we see in it, for people being focused on Jesus and helping other people know you and come into your family. And God, I see the messiness in it, and I pray that at the same time we would see the messiness of our own lives, 
and that you would help us to have conversations rather than make policies. That you'd help us to remember that you purify people's hearts because you know their hearts and, and that we only know behaviors. And that you would keep us from creeping towards law and that you would keep us from creeping towards insiders and help us to continue to be the presence of Christ presently in the world. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us about what we need to do, how we need to apply this in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.